Stormbreaker by Anthony Horowitz. Chapter 4. So what do you say? Reading from the part we got up to in class. All right, Alex considered what he did know. My uncle was a spy. Thanks to you, he's dead. I found out too much, so you knocked me out and brought me here. Where am I, by the way? This is one of our training centres, Mrs Jones said. You've brought me here because you don't want me to tell anyone what I know. Is that what this is all about? Because if it is, I'll sign the Official Secrets Act or whatever it is you want me to do, but then I'd like to go home. This is all crazy, anyway. And I've had enough. I'm out of here. Blunt coughed quietly. It's not quite as easy as that, he said. Why not? It's certainly true that you did draw attention to yourself both at the junkyard and then at our offices on Liverpool Street. And it's also true that what you do know and what I'm about to tell you must go no further. But the fact of the matter is, Alex, that we need your help. My help? Yes, he paused. Have you heard of a man called Herod Sale? Alex thought for a moment. I've seen his name in the papers. It's something to do with computers. And he owns racehorses. Doesn't he come from somewhere in Egypt? Yes, from Cairo. Blunt took a sip of wine. Let me tell you this story, Alex. I'm sure you'll find it of interest. Harold Sale was born in complete poverty in the back streets of Cairo. His father was a failed oral hygienist. His mother took in washing. He had nine brothers and four sisters, all living together in three small rooms along with the family goat. Young Herod never went to school and he should have ended up unemployed, unable to read or write like the rest of them. But when he was seven, something occurred that changed his life. He was walking down Fez Street in the middle of Cairo when he happened to see an upright piano fall out of the 14th story window. Apparently it was being moved and it somehow overturned. Anyway, there are a couple of English tourists walking along the pavement underneath and they would have both been crushed, no doubt about it, except at the last minute, Herod threw himself at them and pushed them out of the way. The piano missed them by an inch. Of course, the tourists were enormously grateful to the young Egyptian waif and it now turned out that they were very rich. They made inquiries about him and discovered how poor he was. The very clothes he was wearing had been passed down by all nine of his brothers. And so, out of gratitude, they more or less adopted him, flew him out of Cairo and put him into a a school over here, where he made astonishing progress. He got excellent exam results, and here's an amazing coincidence. At the age of 15, he actually found himself sitting next to a boy who would grow up to become Prime Minister of Great Britain. Our present Prime Minister, in fact. The two of them were at school together. I'll move forward quickly. After school, Sayer went to Cambridge, where he got a degree in economics. He then set out on a career that went from success to success. His own radio station, computer software, and yes, he even found time to buy a string of racehorses, although I believe they seldom win. But what drew him to our attention was his most recent invention, a quite revolutionary computer that he calls the Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. Alex remembered the file he had found in Ian Ryder's office. Things were beginning to come together. The Stormbreaker is being manufactured by Sale Enterprise, Mrs Jones said. There's been a lot of talk about the design. It has a black keyboard and black casing. With a lightning bolt going down the side, Alex said. He'd seen a picture of it in PC Review. It doesn't only look different, Blunt cut in. 
is based on a completely new technology. It uses something called the round processor. I don't suppose that will mean anything to you. It's an integrated circuit on a sphere of silicon about one millimetre in diameter, Alex said. And it's 90% cheaper to produce, to produce than, than an ordinary chip because the whole thing is sealed in so you don't need clean rooms for production. Ah, oh, yes, <clears throat> Blunt coughed. I'm surprised you know so much about it. Must be my age, Alex said. Well, Blunt continued, the point is, later today, Sale Enterprises are going to make quite a remarkable announcement. They're planning to give away tens of thousands of these computers. In fact, it is their intention to ensure that every secondary school in England gets its own Stormbreaker. It's an unparalleled act of generosity. Sale's way of thanking the country that gave him a home. So the man's a hero. So it would seem. He wrote to Downing Street a few months ago. My dear Prime Minister, you may remember me from our school days together. For almost 40 years I have lived in England and I wish to make a gesture, something that will never be forgotten, to express my true feelings toward your country. The letter went on to describe the gift and was signed, yours humbly, by the man himself. Of course the whole government was excited. The computers are being assembled at the sale plant down in Port Talon, Cornwall. They'll be shipped across the country at the end of this month. And on April 1st, there's to be a special ceremony at the Science Museum in London. The Prime Minister is going to press the button that will bring all the computers online, the whole lot of them. And this is top secret, by the way. Mr Sale is to be rewarded with British citizenship, which is something he has apparently always wanted. Well, I'm very happy for him, Alex said. But you still haven't told me what this has got to do with me. Blunt glanced at Mrs Jones, who had finished her meal while he was talking. She unwrapped another peppermint and took over. For some time now, this department, Special Operations, has been concerned about Mr Sale. The fact of the matter is, we've been wondering if he isn't too good to be true. I won't go into all the details, Alex, but we've been looking at his business dealings. He has contracts in China and the former Soviet Union, countries that have never been our friends. The government, government may think he's a saint, but there's a ruthless side to him too and the security arrangements down at Port Talon worry us. He's more or less formed his own private army. He's acting as if he's got something to hide. Not that anyone will listen to us, Blunt muttered. Exactly. The government's too keen to get their hands on these computers to listen to us. That's why we decided to send our own man down to the plant, supposedly to check on security. But in fact, his job was to keep an eye on Herod's sale. You're talking about my uncle, Alex said. Ian Ryder had told him he was going to an insurance convention, another lie in a life that had been nothing but lies. Yes, he was there for weeks, and like us, he didn't exactly take to Mr Sale. In his first reports, he described him as short-tempered and unpleasant, but at the same time, he had to admit that everything seemed to be fine. Production was on schedule, the stormbreakers were coming off the line and everyone seemed to be happy. But then we got a message. Ryder couldn't say very much because it was an open line. But he told us something had happened. He said he'd discovered something. That the stormbreakers mustn't leave the plant and that he was coming up to London at once. He left Port Talon at four o'clock. He never even got to the freeway. He was ambushed in a quiet country lane. The local police found the car. We arranged for it to be up here. Alex sat in silence. He could imagine it. 
a twisting lane with the trees just in blossom, the silver BMW gleaming as it raced past, and around a corner, a second car waiting. Why are you telling me all this? he asked. It proves what we are saying, Blunt replied. We have our doubts about sales, so we send a man down, our best man. He finds out something and he ends up dead. Maybe Ryder discovered the truth. But I don't understand, Alex interrupted. Sale is giving away the computers. He's not making any money out of them. In return, he's getting a medal and British citizenship. Fine. What's he got to hide? We don't know, Blunt said. We just don't know. But we want to find out, and soon, before these computers leave the plant. They're being shipped out on March 31st, Mrs Jones added. Only three weeks from now. She glanced at Blunt. He nodded. That's why it's essential for us to send someone else to Port Talon, someone to continue where your uncle left off. Alex smiled queasily. I hope you're not looking at me. We can't just send in another agent, Mrs Jones said. The enemy has shown his hand. He's killed Ryder. He'll be expecting a replacement. Somehow we have to trick him. We have to send someone in who won't be noticed, Blunt continued. Someone who can look around and report back without being seen. We were considering sending down a woman. She might be able to slip in as a cleaner or a kitchen helper. But then I had a better idea. A few months ago, one of these computer magazines ran a competition. Be the first boy or girl to use a stormbreaker. Travel to Port Talon and meet Herod Sale himself. That was the first prize. And it was won by some young chap who's apparently a bit of a whiz kid when it comes to computers. Name of Felix Lester, 14 years old. The same age as yourself. He looks a bit like you too. He's expected down at Port Talon two weeks from now. Wait a minute. You've already shown yourself to be extraordinarily brave and resourceful, Blunt said. First at the junkyard? That was a karate kick, wasn't it? How long have you been learning karate? Alex didn't answer, so Blunt went on. And then there was that little test we arranged for you down at the bank. Any boy who would climb out of a 15th floor window just to satisfy his own curiosity has to be rather special. And it seems to me that you are very special indeed. What we're suggesting is that you come and work for us, Mrs Jones said. We have enough time to give you some basic training, not that you'll probably need it, and we can equip you with a few items that may help you with what we have in mind. Then we'll arrange for you to take the place of this other boy. We'll pack him off to Florida or somewhere, give him a holiday as a consolation prize. You'll go to Sale Enterprises on March 29th. That's when the Lester boy is expected. You'll stay there until April 1st, which is the day of the ceremony. The timing couldn't be better. You'll be able to meet Herod Sale, keep an eye on him and tell us what you think. Perhaps you'll also find out what it was that your uncle discovered and why he had to die for it. You shouldn't be in any danger. After all, who would suspect a 14-year-old boy of being a spy? All we're asking you to do is to report back to us, Blunt said. April 1st is just three weeks from now. That's all we're asking, three weeks of your time. A chance to make sure these computers are everything they're cracked up to be. A chance to serve your country. Blunt had, fe- Blunt had finished his lunch. His plate was completely clean, as if there had never been any food on it at all. He put down his knife and fork, laying them precisely side by side. All right, Alex, he said. So what do you say? There was a long pause. Alex put down his own knife and fork. He hadn't eaten anything. Blunt was watching him with polite interest. Mrs Jones was unwrapping yet another peppermint. Her black eyes seemingly fixed on the twist of paper in her hands. No, Alex said. I'm sorry? It's a dumb idea. I don't want to be a spy. I want to play soccer. 
Anyway, I have a life of my own. He found it difficult to choose the right words. The whole thing was so preposterous, he almost wanted to laugh. Why don't you ask this Felix Lester to snoop around for you? We don't believe he'd be as resourceful as you, Blunt said. He's probably better at computer games, Alex shook his head. I'm sorry, I'm just not interested. I don't want to begin... I don't want to get involved. That's a pity, Blunt said. His tone of voice hadn't changed, but there was a heavy, dead quality to the words, and there was something different about him. Throughout the meal, he had been to, been polite. Not friendly, but at least human. In an instant, that had disappeared. Alex thought of a toilet chain being pulled. The human part of him had just been flushed away. We'd better move on, then, to discuss your future, he continued. Like it or not, Alex, the Royal and General is now your legal guardian. I thought you said the Royal and General didn't exist. Blunt ignored him. Ian Ryder has, of course, left the house and all his money to you. However, he left it in trust until you are 21, and we control that trust. So there will, I'm afraid, have to be some changes. The American girl who lives with you. Jack? Miss Starbright. Her visa has expired. She'll be returned to America. We propose to put the house on the market. Unfortunately, you have no relatives who would be prepared to look after you, so I'm afraid that this also means you'll have to leave Brookland. You'll be sent to an institution. There's one I know just outside Birmingham, the St Elizabeth in Sourbridge. Not a very pleasant place, but I'm afraid there's no alternative. You're blackmailing me, Alex exclaimed. Not at all. But if I agreed to do what you asked? Blank glanced at Mrs. Jones. Help us and we'll help you, she said. Alex considered, but not for very long. He had no choice and he knew it. Not when these people controlled his money, his present life, his entire future. You talked about training, he said. Mrs. Jones nodded. Felix Lester is expected at Port Talon in two weeks, she said. That doesn't give us very much time. But it's also why we brought you here, Alex. This is a training centre. If you agree to what we want, we can start at once. Start at once. Alex spoke the three words without liking the sound of them. Blunt and Mrs Jones were waiting for his answer. He sighed. Yeah, all right. Looks like I haven't got much choice. He glanced at the slices of cold lamb on his plate. Dead meat. Suddenly, he knew how it felt. End of chapter four.